Hello and welcome to this episode of Eldrick Talks. I'm Eldrick and today I'm talking with indie author Debbie Stokes about her time with the FBI, her latest thriller and her plans for the future. Enjoy! Debbie, how are you doing today? I am wonderful, how are you? I am wonderful too. I always like to learn a little bit about like how the authors get to the point where they are now that they've written and published their own books. So, Debbie, have you always been, even when you were a child, have you always been interested in writing and books and stories? Yes, I have. When I was a young child, I was a very shy child. And I was so shy, so shy that I used my words or the pen as my instrument to, I always call it, to my voice. So my words that I wrote in stories and lyrics, um, they told stories that I wanted to tell or that I dreamt about. And so I used to write all the time. And that was like my sanctuary because like I said, I was shy. I wouldn't talk in front of people. I was afraid to be in front of a crowd. And if somebody said boo, I would jump. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of what kind of stories were those? Static, oh, what kind of stories? Yeah. Well, they were just stories that I saw around me. I would just make up stories. Just I would I would dream stories, I would make up stories, I would write stories about I guess the kind of life I wanted to live, things like that. So not necessarily totally out there science fiction or fantasy stories, but more like set in a mature reality. Yes, yes, I love reality type stories because it's, they are stories that people really can relate to. And I understand a lot of people like fantasy stories because it takes them away from the reality. But I am a firm believer that like if you can face it, you can change it. So when I write, I like to write stories that are of now and it's happening now and it's happened to you. You might have been through it or you know somebody that has been through it. Um, you see it in the news, things like that. So I like to, you know, to, to give people a different way of looking at things when they read my stories. When you said that you were always writing stories and then even in school because you were a little bit afraid of like speaking in public and stuff like that, does that also mm -hmm. mean that you're were not, not necessarily one of the most popular kids in school? Well, the truth be told, a lot of people like me um, because I had a lot of friends, um, but I was I just smiled my way through life. That's what I'm going to call it. I laugh and smile my way through life. So I got along with everyone. I've never been in a fight in my life. I didn't get in arguments. I didn't get in between trouble. I was never in trouble. So everybody liked me and I got along with everybody. It's just that I was quiet and I used my smiling and my laughing as a way to connect with people. I hope it's not an insult when I say that. I guess that you're out of school for quite some years now and <laughs> yeah. um, you didn't uh, you didn't sit down to write and publish your own book right after school, right? Correct. I didn't. What what kind of profession did you go into? Okay, so um, right out of school, I went and worked for the FBI, and I was a fingerprint examiner. And I soon realized that it wasn't for me. First of all, I had to travel too long to get to the job. 
and it took too much of my day. And being a young person, I think I was at 18 at the time, um, I just didn't see myself um, giving that job so much of my time. So I think back, when I think about it, I think I always had an entrepreneurial kind of spirit. Um, I, 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 when I went to the job in the FBI, um, it was like they had their finger on me and I didn't like that feeling how they could tell me what to do, when to do it, how to do it, where to do it. And I remember um, one particular time I was going to work and the I had to catch a bus from, I, I'm in Baltimore, Maryland. So I had to catch a bus from Baltimore to Washington, D.C. And it was the shuttle that it came, it came every day. But this particular morning, the shuttle didn't come. And at this point, I was in training, and I had to be there. And so I called them and told them that I had no way of getting there. I didn't have the money to get there. And they told me that if I didn't get there, don't come back. And so, lo and behold, that's all I needed. I didn't go back because I didn't want to go there in the first place. And then once he opened up the door, I took it. And so right after that particular time, I decided I was going to work for myself. And so um, first I went to this job um, where my mother worked and I soon realized I didn't want to be there, but I did that for um, a purpose. I was trying to make money to go after a dream that I had. So I worked there long enough. I got laid off and I didn't go back once they, once they called me back. I opened a beauty, well, first I went to beauty school and I learned how to do hair. And then right after that, it was nine months, I opened a beauty salon. Okay. So I was living my life. I have, I have to interrupt you there just for, before we get into that uh, beauty salon, um, it's, it's super fascinating. So you worked for the FBI as a, what was it, fingerprint analyst or? Examiner. Examiner. How, yes. how do you get into that? I, I guess you didn't, You weren't just in school and thinking about one day I want to be a fingerprint examiner for the FBI. How did you get in contact even with the idea that something like that is possible? Well, okay, so so I remember in high school and the FBI came there looking for people right out of school. And so I had to take a test. And when I took the test, there were different jobs that you could apply for. And I just thought that would be fascinating to go for a fingerprint examiner and I did and I got accepted into that program and how how do I have to imagine the the education or the training process for that is it like a three-year uh, university thing or is it uh, on the job training no it was just um I think if I'm not mistaken of course it was a long time ago I think it might have been like eight weeks and and I quit I guess I was probably like in the sixth week or something like that. I was close to the end. I mean, when you're working for the FBI, I imagine there have to be has to be some kind of like like security clearance and and whatnot, especially when you're working with very sensitive stuff like fingerprints, right? Oh yeah, we had to. Uh, I had to do it first. They did the interview, then they came around into my neighborhood asking about me to people that I did not know, neighbors and things like that. Then I had to, I had to do a fingerprint um, test myself, and I had to do a take an oath that um, with the information that I was going to be privy to that I couldn't discuss it, um, and that was basically it. So it was like the interview, 
the the fingerprint fingerprinting I had to do, and then the the oath that I had to take. And how well, how exciting or how boring uh, was that work on a day to day basis then? Well, it was really exciting, especially at 18. It was really exciting because I got to see um, a lot of things that I, I had never seen before because I was sheltered in my own little neighborhood. So um, going in D.C. and working um, and seeing other people's records and things like that, um, it was really interesting reading other people's information, you know, and seeing what they were doing. So that was really interesting. And I mean, it bothered my eyes because you had to look um, you know, really close at the fingerprint, mm. but it was like really um, exciting. Did you al always knew what kind of case and what kind of crime that was related to, or did you just get the fingerprints and had to find a match? Right. They just would give us like the fingerprint, uh, I'm gonna call them packs. And then we had to go through the packs mm. and, and I guess we had to, I can't remember exactly how it went, but I think we had to section them and, and look up certain things that they were looking for. Okay, but you never, you were never really told whether or not, I don't know, your job with the fingerprints led to a conviction or something like that. Um, no, no, we didn't. Okay. And so it's at some point then you say after six weeks, this isn't it. I have to, I have to free my entrepreneurial spirit and yes. have to do <laughs> something where I'm my own boss basically. And then you went into the, uh, into the area of, of beauty. Yes, correct. Yes, I went into beauty and I found that it was enjoyable. It was, um, it, it made me feel a certain kind of way because I made people feel better once they, you know, when they came in and, and they were feeling a certain way, they told me their life stories. So I was like, in my mind, I was like the counselor, I was a lawyer, I was a friend, and I was everything they needed in my seat and, and, and in the process. I made them look beautiful, so they felt good leaving. So I loved the the uh, the idea of a transformation. I loved making people feel good and inspiring them to be better and do better. I've always been a person that liked motivating people and making people feel better than what they were. Are you still are you still operating that that uh, beauty salon? <laughs> well, no, I, I I had it for like eighteen years. And I got burnt out. Mm -hmm. I soon realized that my my desire to do it had left me. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that I don't think that a person should stay with a job that they hate. Um, it's a miserable life. And I refuse to live like that. So I walked away from it. And... I had, I lost all of my, well, you know, I told my customers I were leaving and they were all sad and everything, but I realized that I had to do it for me and not for them, you know, mm -hmm. because I had to live my life and that's what I did. What did, what did you do after that? Uh, <laughs> I started inspecting homes. I was a house inspector for the government. Okay. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> I had a, a, quite a few different jobs. So I inspected homes um, and that was rewarding because I used to, I, I used to work from what they call from the grave or from the, from the, from the ground up. So a person would lose their home and I would have to go in and inspect their house. We changed the locks, 
Um, we, we did everything that was necessary to sell the house. And then I used to like seeing how the houses were came through. And then I saw the ending where somebody, a new family came in and bought the house. So that was satisfying. Mm. Although, although the person losing the house wasn't satisfying, but I couldn't do anything about that. So I had to move past it because at first it was heartbreaking for me to go into a house that somebody had lost. Mm. But I understand that that's life and things like that happen. And it's nothing I can do about that. But the rewarding part for me was that another family was able to get a house. So mm. that's the way I looked at it. I always say you change your perspective, you can change your life. So I had to change the way I was looking at it. And what did you do after that? Okay, so after that... So that was okay. I, I, I did the homes. What? Oh, oh. So, so my husband and I have a, a business. So what we did is um, we continued um, doing because we had. I, I was doing the inspecting, and he was doing the physical work that that it took to keep the house uh, maintained. So I just worked with him. I left that and just went with him and started working with him and his company. So I was like managing and doing the paperwork and things like that. Um, doing billing, I would do biddings for him to get the jobs and things like that. So I kind of switched from working for somebody else and I just worked with him. And that's what you're still doing today? Yeah, that's what, yes, we're still doing that today. And then at what point did you, did you get the idea that it might be, it might be nice to start writing a book? Okay, so in 2018, um, I, okay, this particular book, in 2018, I had a dream. Now, let me take it back. So I remember when Tyler Perry first came out and he did a play. Um, I can't remember what the name of the play was, but I went to his first play and I was mesmerized by the idea that somebody could write and move an audience, make them cry, make them laugh, things like that. And I said to myself, well, if he can do that, I can do it. And because I knew I could write, but I had never looked past myself with writing. And when I saw him doing it, I was like, okay, so if he did that, I can do it. And so I immediately went home and I wrote a play And I mean, I just started from the beginning and kept going and didn't stop. And I had a play. And I always say God moved me because he gave me the initiative. He gave me the idea and he gave me the, I'm going to say the ability to write it. And that's what I did. And I wrote the play. And so I still have the play. I haven't done anything with it. So in 2018, I had a dream and it was so vivid. And I jumped up out of my sleep. And in, in the process of jumping up out of my sleep, I hit my husband by accident <laughs> and woke him up. But in the midst of me jumping up, I never opened my eyes because during that time, I did not want to lose the dream because I wanted to write it down. So I didn't get all the way up, but I, I got up enough because I kept a, a pencil and paper beside me. So I jumped up enough and I didn't open my eyes. And then once I got the paper and pen, I felt around for it. And then I opened my eyes, wrote down the thought really fast, and then I went back to sleep. And so then when I got up for the morning, um, I went right back to the paper 
and I just started writing because I had the gist of it down and I started writing. And so then um, I put it aside because life issues get in the way. And this one particular time um, I saw an ad, it came down my, down my, on my computer and it said, you can write a book in 90 days. You pay a hundred dollars. If you write the book in 90 days, you'll get your hundred dollars back. And that was an incentive for me. I was like, what, they're going to pay me to write? And so that's what I did. I joined the program. Um, and then along the way, the 90 days, they do the accountability. And they put you with a group of people. And, and you and the group of people have to write and read each other's and critique each other's writing. So all of that helped me to finish the book. So I finished it in, two, in, in, in the 90 days. And I put it aside again because life issues got in the way. And so in 2020, that is when I finally went back to it. I, after so many other things, I had a women's empowerment blog. I wrote for a magazine. And so I decided to prioritize myself in 2020 during the COVID time. And I went back to my book and I said, I'm going to do this for me. And so I picked the book back up. But then when I picked the book back up, I realized that it wasn't exciting enough for me. When I did it in 20, 2018, it was a, Christ, a Christian fiction book. But then I realized I wanted some action. I wanted some drama. I wanted some a, a whole lot of fire. And so I, in 2020, it became a thriller because I completely revamped it and it became a thriller. Mm -hmm. And how much from the original version uh, was then left? Okay, so um, I had, I, I'm going to say that, um, I'm going to say that 90% of it was changed. Uh -huh. um, I had the same intentions um, of the main character, you know, he was, well, I don't know if you want me to go into that now, but, but um, he was like, um, what he started out as, And what he wanted at the end was basically the same thing. And the whole idea of the lessons that I wanted people to know are still there. But I changed the intentions of the other characters. So the whole story has changed from the beginning. The first version that you wrote, how did you approach that? You said that you had this goal of writing it in 90 days. But yeah. how much planning did you do before? Absolutely none. <laughs> so what happened is usually when I write, um, okay, so other than, okay, let me take that back. Other than being in the program, because they did have us to write an outline mm -hmm. and we had to write the idea, the description for the story. But other than that, that's all I had. That's all I had to go on. Um, and so um, I, I always, luckily I have never had the, The, the problem with writing, it, it comes so easily to me. And so when I was writing the characters back then, or the, you know, the whole di idea of the story, um, I just jump into the characters and let them do the speaking. So it, it's like, it, it, I don't try to f take them where they want to go. I let them take me where they want to go. So for instance, like, um, if my character says that... Um, Like, let's say I have an idea in my mind how I want the character to act or, or what I want them to do. But if once I step into that character and start writing, 
and that character doesn't do or say what I want them to say, I stop, I take my mind out of it and I get into their mind and I become that person. And I literally get up and I literally act out as if I was that person. So if I'm a man or the character is a man, I get up and act like I'm the man and I let him do all of the work and I just write it down. So that has always been, uh, it's, it's made it easy for me. And luckily, um, doing it that way, I haven't had a lot of holes, a lot of plot holes. I haven't had a lot of problems. Now, of course, there's some things that I can add to it, you know, once I finish. But I haven't had a lot of issues with that uh. so far. <laughs> <laughs> and while writing that, what kind of... Uh habit did you have of writing did you have your nice little writing nook somewhere that was nicely decorated or did you basically just have your phone and laptop with you all the time and just wrote whenever inspiration kicked in okay so how it works for me is that i need complete silence <laughs> not even a pen dropping and so what i do is i wait for everyone else to go to sleep and i go into my room with the laptop And that's when I write. So so I can write, like, I can write a long time with complete silence. The moment somebody comes in and make, even if they, um, if they start to eat potato chips out of a bag, that's noise to me. Mm -hmm. And I can't write. I get easily distracted. So I just, I just need um, a moment of silence. I close the door. I turn the phone off. And I just get busy with writing. And you said that... You had this first draft that you changed basically completely. And then mm -hmm. let's say the re-ramped version is, is the second draft. How many other drafts followed that before you had a final product? Okay, so okay, so the very first um, draft was, that was the Christian fiction. Mm. So then when I went to the second time, went, went to it the second time, um, it just didn't move me like I wanted to. So I did some changing. I went step by step, chapter by chapter, word by word, line by line. And I I, I brought in new characters. I brought in new ideas. I completely changed um, their wants and desires and things like that. That's how I did for every character. And the story just completely changed right before me. I mean, I added, like in the first one, I didn't have um, crime. I didn't have things that would, would consider like, like, I guess I'm going to call it like reality type stuff. I mean, it was reality, but it was like calm stuff. Mm -hmm. But in this one right here, there is a lot of action, a lot of drama, a lot of things that will have you like turning the pages, wondering what's going to happen next. So that was the flavor I was looking for in the second one. And then after I went through it again, For the third time, I added more things because in my mind, it needed um, some more fire. I'm going to call it fire. It needed some more fire. And so I just just kept doing it. I, I did it for like, I probably did it like about three times, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. About three times. So, so about more or less three drafts. And at any, any point, did you work with a professional editor? Well, to be honest with you, my brother was like my 
editor. He's not professional or anything, but um, he was like, he, he's good at, um, he reads a lot and he's good at noticing things, picking out things, um, you know, things like that. So he was all along the process, he was helping me. And so he would say, no, you need to add this because this is not making sense or, or, or I need to feel it a little bit more. He would say things like that. And so um, along the process, he became like my my editor, but I did get a professional editor and truthfully, I wasn't as impressed. So, you know, I don't want to talk about him, but okay. I wasn't but, impressed with him. Uh, but what, did he make things worse or why weren't you impressed? I don't think, honestly, I don't think that he was as a professional as he called himself. That's what I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that, I think I, I think I, just made a wrong pick. I'm gonna say it like that. Okay. And how about the other parts of it? For example, the formatting or the cover design? Where did you get help there, if any? That was the same person, the editor that I picked. Um, so he did the whole thing. He did the book cover and he did the formatting and, um, and then he did the editing. Oh, okay. And so then all the parts are coming together and you have your final book in front of you. Why and at what point did you decide to go for self-publishing instead of maybe trying to find a traditional publisher? Well, I had, had okay, I did a lot of research online and I had, had heard stories about traditional publishing and from my understanding, the only difference was that, okay, you had the name behind you. Um, you had the credibility behind you. But you still had to do the same work. You know, you have to promote yourself. You have to, um, you know, do all of the things that you need to do in order to get your book out there. Because literally, it's really up to the author to really make it happen for themselves, you know. Now, granted, there are a few people who will have a, a first-time book and the publishing houses, I mean, it will go viral or whatever, you know, and, and they'll make all the money and do things like that. But that's very rare for most authors. Most authors don't don't become a success at being an author. So I just f figured that my, it, I have a saying that if it's to be, is up to me. And so um, I realized that if I'm going to fail, it's going to be fa I'm going to fail on my own merit. So I just decided to go self-publishing so that I can make all the money myself and I'll do what I think is necessary for me to win. And that's the way I looked at it. Yeah, so, right, as a self-publisher, you have to do a lot of that stuff yourself, too. And mm -hmm. how much of a, let's say, how much of a surprise was it to you in the end? How much work actually goes into the whole process of publishing your book yourself? Okay, so, um, okay, obviously, you have to pay for an editor. You have to pay for, um, you know, the, the people that's going to do the book cover and, and things like that. And then... Once your book is published, that's where the real work begins because you got to market yourself. And so um, I had to buy my books. And once I bought my books, um, you know, I've been making appearances on different media outlets. I've been working on social media, trying to get my book out there. And so it's, it's like you just can't stop. You can't let up. Um, a lot of people will... Um, they'll make the book and, and get relaxed 
But I think that's when you got to work harder. And so I am trying to really just every time somebody think about a book, I want them to think about my book. <laughs> so I'm trying to push my book in front of people and in front of as many eyes as I can so that they can read it. Because I think once people read my book, they're going to really like the story because it's really a good story mm. with nice lessons. And how do you how do you go about the whole advertising part of it? Do you pay for some ad campaigns somewhere? Um, no, I have not done any ad um, campaigns at all. Most of my things have been on TikTok because um, I'm realizing that like the book top community, it's a, a, it, it can be like free advertisement for you, you know, because there have been so many people who have been, become a success using BookTop. So I'm trying to work my way through that. I'm new at it, but I'm learning the process. And so I'm pla I plan on using TikTok to really pull me through to becoming like a big seller. I mean, I'm using the other things, Instagram and, and Facebook, but TikTok is the real, the real, I'm going to call it the real, what the real meat of it that's what i'm trying to get to i'm trying to get to the meat how how much success are you are you having with your book how much um yeah well basically if, if you are willing to disclose the information how many copies of your book have you sold so far to be honest with me okay so I, it came out on may the 31st and i probably would say um, I, I want to say maybe because I haven't really paid attention because I refuse to pay attention until I was gonna give myself like three months. But okay. but I'm gonna guess maybe I'm gonna guess maybe um maybe about a hundred so far. A lot of the editing work, for example, right? You had mm -hmm. a, basically a very cheap option, right, of friends and family to help you with that, but you also mm -hmm. paid uh, the editor for some of the things. So mm -hmm. all in all, how much money in all did you did you invest to make this book happen? Well, I'm, I you know, to be honest with you, I'm embarrassed to say that because I feel like, um, you know, that I got cheated. So I, I really don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> I really feel like I got taken. So I'm, I'm embarrassed about that. Yeah. But, I mean, some of the other some of the authors, other authors that I talked with, Uh, they have all spent several thousand dollars on it. I think one spent around like five or six thousand on his book and the others have spent not a lot less. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, mine is a lot less than that, but uh, it's more than what I would have paid. You know, I would have rather paid um, more for better quality. Outside of your book, you mentioned already you had your blog that you were writing for. How mm -hmm. How different would you say is the writing experience when you write for a book compared to writing for a blog? Well, okay, so I always say that writing as an author prepares you for any other kind of writing you want to do um, because it teaches you about words, it teach you about, teaches you about structure, it teaches you about um, just just the whole editing process. And it teach you, teaches you about... Um, recognizing or being creative with your words. And so as a blogger, 
and, and it was called Three Women Voices. So as a blogger, um, and it was a motivational empowerment blog, and where I, uh, like I said, I always like to motivate people. So it was my idea to create the blog because of things that I lacked in my life growing up. And not only did it empower other people, I did it so it could empower me too. And so the writing was like lessons that I've learned. It was like um, things that I, um, because I'm I'm 61 years old. So in my life, I've learned a lot of things and I try to teach people some of the things that I've learned by just trying to breathe into them new life, new hope, and new beginnings. And so I used the blog as a way to connect to other women. And like I said, I, I grew up with no sister. I had three brothers. And so that's why I particularly wanted to be um, a woman's blog because I felt like I needed a sister or sisters to talk to. And I did, it didn't matter where they came from, what they did, as long as I could talk to them, connect with them, and inspire them at the same time. And so the blog writing, in my in my experience, was no different than writing a book, other than you don't have characters. You know, you you just have you have to keep people engaged. You have to write about things that people care about, which is the same with as an author. So it, it wasn't really. Um, it, at least in my experience, it wasn't really a big difference other than, you know, formatting and, and, and how you write and what you're writing about. But it, it was just basically the same thing. And it was called Three Women's Blog? Three Women's Voices. Voices. And where did mm -hmm. that where did that name come from? So initially it started out with myself and two other women. And before we actually got like into a month one of the women dropped off and decided she was going to do something on her own she started her own business or something and so because we had started already with the name we had i had paid for the website and things like that um i just real i just said that we okay we'll use we'll we'll, we'll take it and and just use it as like okay it's two women and then the other voice would be the audience and then I realized that and what you do in business because the blog was like a business you have to understand the people that you're going into a business with mm -hmm. and so I soon realized that the second girl who was with me um, wasn't on the same page so for instance it was my heart it was my baby and I was pouring everything into it well to her it was just a hobby And so, which means that she was putting it last in her life and in her list. It, it, it just was last. And mm -hmm. so that made, that, that got to me, you know, because I felt like I was doing 99% of the work. And then when she came in and did her last, I mean, it was very little. And so I said, what do I need her for? So I told her that I thought it was a good idea to it just be, if it was just me. So... Um, the three women voices, I kept the name because by that time I was in it for about a year. And so I just kept the name and I said, okay, it will be, I will be one voice and the people who I talk to 
or interview will be another voice. And then the people that are listening will be the third voice when they comment. So I just kept it like that. Is the blog still online? Are you still working on that? It's, it's online, but um, I, um, I'm not engaging with it anymore. But it's mm. still there. But do you have plans so, to at some point revive it? Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Because I'm, what I'm going to do, I don't know. I think I'm going to go with the writing part. of. I'm going to do the blog as a writer. So I'll write about um, ways to help you if you, you want to write. You know, things like that. So I'm mm. going to change the direction of it. Although I'm still doing motivational stuff because on my TikTok, I have a TikTok where I do inspirational stuff all the time. So I have... I have changed it from writing in the blog to now I'm just on TikTok. Mm. So you're still producing the same kind of content now, only yes. in a different yes a different platform. And with the blog, what I loved about it was that not only did I write articles, but I reached out to women all over and I interviewed them. So I have I have a YouTube channel where I interviewed them, like pretty much what we're doing. Only we could see each other, but mm. um. Yeah, I would interview them about their life, um, how they got to where they are. And, you know, everybody has a story and I let them tell their story. You also brought us a little passage of your book, right? Yeah. All right. So let me give you the premise of how it, where I'm starting at. So, okay. So the main character gets fired from his job. And this is at the point when he's leaving his job. He shockingly gets fired because he was expecting to get a, get a promotion, but he got fired instead. So he's leaving his job, and this is the point when he's leaving his job. Okay, so, so with a box full of memories in one hand and his briefcase in the other, David loaded them into the back seat of his car. He pulled off for the last time, feeling shocked. He somehow managed to wave to the security guard at the exit. He drove down the street, oblivious to his surroundings. His face was fiery red. His body was hot to the touch. It's like his anger had two hands that reached up and choked him. Like steam in a pressure cooker, David's temper boiled over. He erupted like a volcano and a thunderous roar followed. Caught in the heat of his anger, he abruptly halted dead center in the street. The streetlights changed and horns honked, but David stayed frozen in place. Hey, what's wrong with you? Get out of the way, a man yelled as he peeled off from behind him. David looked up, but it didn't register what they said. He had lost himself in thought. His firing felt surreal, as if in a movie, a horror movie he had lived during his childhood at the hands of his father. Bad memories, frustration ensued. David never forgave his father for killing his brother and sister in a drunk driving accident when they were younger. He sank deeper into thought, remembering that day so clearly. The day when his drunken father snatched the keys from his mother and got behind the wheel intoxicated. The odor from his alcoholic breath sunk up the car. You know, you shouldn't be driving, Luther, his mother said in a nervous voice. Shut up. Don't tell me what to do. He snapped and sped off. The next thing David saw was the backhand of his father striking across his mother's face. Seconds later, the car swerved. His father grabbed the steering wheel with both hands, trying to gain control. 
but the car sideswiped a parked car and narrowly escaped running into a brick wall. Then it flipped over. The smell of burnt rubber filled the air. Still locked in thought, David remembered hitting his head on the window with blood dripping down his forehead and pieces of glass stuck in his scalp as the car lay over him. He looked to the right and tried to move. He saw his sister's leg crushed in the middle of the seat with the roof of the car smashed on top of her head. David touched her. She wasn't breathing. He then saw his brother on the other side of his sister. The top half of his body was dangling through the broken side window as blood flowed from his chest nonstop. David realized he was dead. Frantic, he struggled to see past the blood in his eyes as he wiggled, attempting to break loose from the seatbelt. And in his fight to break free, he noticed his mom trapped in an exploded airbag with her skin badly cut, open and bleeding. Oh, he moaned, unable to move. David found just enough strength to break free from the grasp of his seatbelt and climbed out of the car onto the ground. Fearing for his mother, he rushed to her side of the car. While struggling to open the door, a bystander rushed over to help. David was glad the man was dead because his pain was unbearable and the dripping blood from his leg and arm needed immediate attention. Are you all right? The bystander asked David. Please, please help my mom. Don't worry about me. Ma'am, I'm going to get you out of here, he said. Listen, on three, I'm going to pull you out. One, two, three. He broke her free and carried her to the sidewalk. Another person reached in to help his brother and sister, but realized they were dead. He rushed around to his father's side. Sir, sir, can you hear me? David screamed out in anguish. He killed my family. He killed my family. Tears pulled down his face. By that time, three men were pulling his father from the clutches of the airbag when the police ambulance and fire truck arrived. They jumped into action. As the police officer pushed the crowd back, the firefighters ran to the car, checking for fire hazards, while the ambulance worker ran to David. Please help my mother first, David yelled. Don't worry, we got it. One ambulance worker ran to his mom, checked her condition, and put her into the ambulance. The other worker ran to his brother and sister, still stuck in the car to feel for a pulse and realize they were dead. By that time, another ambulance arrived. One worker grabbed David and helped him to the ambulance for treatment, while another ran to his father sitting on the sidewalk and lifted him into another ambulance. They all drove away. The memories, brutal, painful, and hard to forget. The liquor was his enemy. David was upset his father had received no jail time. Instead, he was charged with a DUI and sentenced to four years in prison, which was suspended to 10 years probation. After he fought his way through his nightmarish memories, David snapped back to the present and soon realized he was sitting smack dab in the middle of the street. Another car honked, and he heard a voice scream, Hey, fool, get out of the road. The car zoomed by. Then David pulled off to the side of the road to figure out his plan. He realized he couldn't go home in the middle of the day and get the third degree from his wife, Lisa. She was a no-nonsense woman who believed a man should always work. No excuses. She was firm about that, and David knew it. I need a drink, he said out loud, worrying about facing his wife. Luckily, there was a bar within blocks of his, of his job. He went inside. He got one drink, then another. David hung at the bar until it was time to go home. He needed to stay out of the streets, hidden. Two drinks were enough to mask his feelings, but not enough to alert his wife's he had been drinking. After drowning the shots, he headed to his car. 
David made it home in time. Lisa wasn't there yet. He hurried to the bed from to brush his teeth, then drank a strong cup of coffee. A while later, she pulled up. Thank you, thank you. That was great. Um, <laughs> do you already have plans to write on a second book? Yes, I, I'm planning on, I'm working on a second book for this one, and also I'm also working on um, another book. Okay, so is this the one, is it a sequel, or...? Yes, this would be like a sequel to the first one. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking at a sequel, um, uh, one, two, and three, but um, if I don't decide to do a three, I'll just merge the two, I mean, the third one into the second one. <laughs> so I have both of them in the second one. I'm definitely going to do a two. Okay, so the tow book, the two books that you're working on is a sequel and then a sequel to the sequel? Did I understand it's that a, correct? Or? So it's a, okay, you have, I have the first book right here and then I'll be doing a second book that will be the sequel to this first book. Yeah, and you're writing and then, on another book. Yeah, I'm working on a whole different book too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is this going to be a thriller again? Or? Yes. <laughs> yes. Can you already tell us something about it, the setting? or? For the for the second book, I mean not not the second. You talking about not the sequel, but the other book? Yes, yes, the third book. That's okay. called the third book. <laughs> okay, so the third book, the third book is a is it's just a about a, a woman who gets kidnapped from her neighborhood, mm. and so she's coming home from work, and and it's like a lot of drama. Um, she gets kidnapped from her neighborhood, so this is her story. She's telling her story. Are there any lessons that you feel like you learned from the first book that? You're now putting in action in the second and third one? Oh, yeah. I've learned how to be more colorful with the writing, you know, to talk about the background, um, to really give people a, a, a sense of that they feel what's happening in a book. Not just hear it, but feel it. Hmm. Did you come to that conclusion yourself or did you have, uh, was it the feedback from your readers? Um, no, myself, as I was writing it. As I was reading it back, like this after the second time and the, and the third time, that's why I was changing it because I was I was realizing that it needed um, to be felt and not just read. So I was putting in emotional things to make it better. And do you already have some maybe rough release dates for the two books? No, I don't. I, I just hope um, my my sense is I'm going to finish book two. Um, and bring it out sometime next year. When, I don't know, but sometime next year. Hmm. And the third book, then maybe after that? Or... Yes, yeah, af maybe after that. And then I have a whole, I have an idea for a whole lot of other books. <laughs> mm. but, uh, All yeah. thrillers? Or... Um, some may sway into something else. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Um, but... I kind of like thrillers because they keep you on the edge. But I also, I really want to do a book that is life-changing for people. I want to do something that's impactful, that's making a statement, um, that gives people something to talk about. So I'm going to work on a book similar to that. I don't know what yet, but that's in my mind too. Okay. Do you have a rough idea about then maybe a genre for a life-changing book? Um, I'm not sure yet. Self-help, maybe? No, it's not going to be self-help. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be more. I, you know what? I do want to do, I do want to do a, a non-fiction book too, eventually, about relationships. Because I've been married for with the same guy 
since I was um, 16, 17. Mm -hmm. And so we've been together, all together for 45 years. So I want to do something about a relationship too. But, um, you know, how to, about marriage and, and relationships and stuff like that. I don't know when I'll do that, but I, that's in the pipeline. The, the, the life-changing book, I mean, that's quite a big ambition, right? To not just write a book that maybe sells a few times, but to write mm -hmm. a, a truly life-changing book. That's, that's, that's quite, a, quite a big ambition. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I have it in me. Um, um, and I think, and I'm going to say probably because by me um, motivating people, inspiring people, and people, um, you know, reaching out to me after I have motivated or said something that, that mattered to them, um, I like how uh, writing can impact people. And so I want to write something that really means something to people. I don't know if I find it so interesting the idea to say you know I want to make a life-changing book. How would, like would it be? Would you want to write a story? Um, yeah. That's just you know, that just has a lot of maybe morality in it or something like that. Yes, I wanted I wanted to be a story, um, an emotional story, and I wanted to be relatable, um, and I also wanted to be a book that makes people think. Mm -hmm. and make people think about their lives and about um what ifs and 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 how blessed they are and and why what are the choices that you make and how they can really impact how you turn out and and things like that but you have no no idea about the about the plot right not yet no okay, okay. well we're gonna uh, listen for uh, news about that right We're gonna mm -hmm. keep uh, stay keep tuned. Stay tuned for that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Thank Debbie. Thank you very much for for stopping by, for doing thank this. Thank you. It was a blast. I enjoyed so it a lot. <laughs> I enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. And where can the listeners find you and your books? Okay, they can find my book on Amazon under the stranger he knew. And I am on Am I'm, I'm gonna say I'm on um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And you can find me author Debbie Stokes on all of those. Um, and I guess, well, TikTok. Um, I just recently changed it because I'm trying to separate my motivational part to, you know, separate it from the author to the and the motivational part. So under The author part, it would be Arthur Deb Stokes, but everything else is Arthur Debbie Stokes. So if you Google Arthur Debbie Stokes, you'll find me under any of those. Awesome. Debbie, thank you again. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eldrick Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com. That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.